Welcome to Agam the Climate Podcast, a literary podcast about climate, consciousness, and crisis, but without jargon. We live in a time of uncertainty. Our future is still being written, which means there's still hope. Here we host conversations with writers and artists whose stories we need to guide the way. I'm Padma Perez. Thank you for joining me. For the book, Agam, Filipino Narratives on Uncertainty and Climate Change, contributors were sent a photograph to use as a writing prompt. They were asked to consider the words uncertainty and ambiguity, while avoiding words and phrases such as climate change, global warming, adaptation, mitigation, and so on. This process produced 24 poems and narratives in eight Philippine languages paired with 26 images. In Season 1, we bring you the voices behind the stories and poetry in the book. Today, we're joined by Merlinda Bobis, who is one of the contributing authors to the book Agam, Filipino Narratives on Uncertainty and Climate Change. She grew up in Legazpi City at the foot of Mount Mayon and now resides in Australia. A multi-awarded writer, she's also a performance artist, a visual artist, and a teacher. Her latest book is a collection of poetry entitled Accidents of Composition. Hi, Merlinda. Hello, Padma. How are you? I'm good, and I'm very pleased that we're doing this. Thank you for being here. We're also very honored that you could do this with us. And today we're going to focus on Ten Fingers, which you wrote for Agam. Before we listen to you read the piece, could you tell us a little about the photograph you received as a writing prompt? Mm. Now, that was uh, a bit uncanny, receiving the photograph, because the moment I saw it, I felt, this is family. Because his features uh, remind me of the brothers of my father, uh, because they some of them, you know, coming from a farming family. And I know, I think he's a fisherman, it's a photograph of a fisherman, but whether he's fisherman, farmer, he's a man who works with his sampulong guramui, with his 10 fingers. And so I had a, an immediate bond with this man. And, and I also love the fact that there is a a hint of a smile, but there is something else. There's a, there's a story there, and even that faint window, there is something else is happening inside. And so, in fact, when I saw him, I thought at once of Sampulong Guramui, because my father, and, and, and so he became my father. So it, it was a very fluid, uh, development, I thought, my, fa- my father used to say uh, in, in Bicol, pinaeskwela kukamo kang sakuyang sampulong guramoy. I sent you to school with my ten fingers because my father works with his hands. He repairs refrigerators and air conditioners. Work, working class. And he was a farmer too before he became, he went to Manila to try his luck. And so, yeah, 
and the interesting thing. So the, the man in the photograph became my father. Here's Merlinda Bobis reading Sampulong Guramoy, Ten Fingers. Ten fingers, remember this. Ten strong fingers in the farm raised and sent you to school. At the airport now, I'm hearing father's voice before I left. He's smiling, but... Okay, I'll post now. No more drama. Go on, click it. Suddenly, the camera hides my smarting eyes, and the picture is taken. My father, smile reaching, eyes grown red from too much sun, or from the twinge of this goodbye. My child is a scholar in America. She'll be a doctor. So, daughter, you'll repair your father after three years? Then he's wiping off the earth from his T-shirt, grabbing the dangling nipa from the roof, so I don't see the growing red of his eyes. Father, my scholarship is for a different sort of doctor, PhD. Indeed. Nene, excuse me, but your father did a different study of the planting, harvesting, the sprouting of the rice, the dry and the wet, the changing seasons, the nature of storms. Of course, Nene, it's PhD. But don't forget where you came from. All of us, even those in America, still come from the farm. All of us have been raised with food from the farm. Remember this? A beautiful picture of my most beautiful father. I wish to pass his face around to all the passengers lining up towards the plane. Please, see what can't be seen. Ten strong fingers in the mud, on the plow and the buffalo, on the rice grains, on his knees that always ache at night. Please, see what is invisible. Behind that window, my mother, making me a sandwich so I don't get hungry on this trip. Special corned beef, she said, from the new grocery a little farther up. But the sandwich is taking forever to hold back the only child's departure, to hold back the tears. Ay, Gloring, you're taking a long time. Is that a giant sandwich or what? Father is smiling, weeping, but I don't see. Ten fingers of my mother, ten fingers of my father. Please, see the invisible. The many times in a year of fixing the roof wrenched away by the many storms, the many times of evacuating because of the flood. The many times of scavenging for rotting rice. The other day, the wind, the rain, wrenched a multitude of houses from the earth. Superstorm. I saw on my computer when I was finishing my conference paper, but no one saw in the library how my heart was wrenched out of my chest. So now, I'm at the L.A. airport going home to what I don't know. To what I can't see in the news. Our house, our farm, my father, my mother, 
I can't see them or the impending landfall in my chest. But I see you, you, gasping at this tragedy on TV, on your laptops and iPhones as we wait to take off. Please, I beg you, look closer. It is my father, my mother, and all of 20 fingers holding back this storm. So, Merlinda, what made you choose this particular narrator when you wrote the piece? She's going abroad for a scholarship, and she's not becoming a doctor that can repair her father. She's getting a PhD. It is, this piece is, you know, probably semi-autobiographical. Because I started with, when I saw the photograph, I thought, this is my father. And this is a, a, a Bobby's face, very much a Bobby's face. So I thought, um, and it, it was just, it was not even a conscious choice. It was just, as I said, it was a very fluid development from seeing him becoming my father uh, in my narrative. And then I thought, well, I, I wanted very much to have that inside, outside um, point of view. So you have someone who's lived in the farm, has known the storms, and also has been outside and is able to take that story outside. Because I believe the stories of the vulnerable spaces in this planet have, you be, have to be taken to the very privileged first world so that they can actually see that whatever they do there would impact us. Please see the invisible. I wanted to visibilize our landfalls and the impacts of these landfalls on our daily lives and to say, maawa ka naman. You know, yung ganun, a little bit of, there is a, it's an advocacy piece, like all the pieces in this book. And I wanted that the advocacy is not just among us. We actually have to go to the people who are polluting, <laughs> who are doing a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the emissions who are you know, the, responsible for this, the first worlds. And that in your comfortable places, you know, you're not worried about the fact that maybe your island will disappear. There are many island countries in the Pacific who, you know, with one superstorm, one tsunami, they could just disappear from the face of the earth. That's why you wrote that line. That's why I wrote that. That's why it had to be that point of view, who is someone who is able to, an insider, an outsider, and who is able to take it somewhere else. So uh, she is, the story is she's in transit. She's in, but also the story is in transit. I would like to think that with this, I could hand it over the story. I could tell the story to someone who is not from the Philippines and say, look, here it is. Please see the invisible. In the same way that I can hand over, I wanted to hand over the photograph of my father. And you mentioned that it's a semi-autobiographical piece. Could you tell us about that? 
because of the fact, because the sampulong guramu is really a phrase of my father. I sent you, that's phrase, I sent you to school with my sampulong guramu. Pinaeskwela ko kamo kang sakuyang, sa sakuyang, uh, pinaeskwela kamo kang sakuyang sampulong guramu. I sent you to school, or, your, or my ten fingers sent you to school, because he, he worked with his hands. And so, well, he repaired refrigerators and air conditioners, but he also was a farmer beforehand. So any person who worked with his or her hands and used that work, that labor, to send children to school, to feed children, to clothe children, I wanted this to be a homage to all our workers, especially our workers in the farm, our, our fishermen, our workers who have to deal with the daily uh, activities of nature and uh, the disasters that come our way. And you originally wrote this in Bicolan. Oh yes, I wrote it in Bicol. Could you read us a few lines or phrases in your piece that express yeah. your thoughts better than the English version? I think the best is, it's, a, it's the, the ending part. I will, I will have, it's a little bit long, it's a very short piece. But these are the ones that, that I felt cannot quite, the English version cannot quite get it, you know, the same. So let me read this. It's, it's that portion when he's saying that this is probably a giant sandwich that the mother is preparing. Ay gloreng kaloy haloy mo man. Ano, higanting sandwich yan? Nag-uulog si Pai. Pag-ihibi. Pero dahi ko nahihiling. Sampulong guramoy ni Mai, sampulong guramoy ni Pai. Hiling at tabi ang dahi nahihiling. Pirang beses sa rong taon, ang pagpakaray kang atop na nahulkab kang pirang beses na bagyo. Pirang beses ang pagbakwit dahil sa baha. Pirang beses ang pagsalba kang naglalapang paroy. Kaso sa rong aldaw, Nagabot kang paros, kang uran, so kadakol na harong hali sa daga. Superstorm. Nahiling ko sa computer, kang pigtatapos ko sa kong conference paper. Pero dahi kinakahiling sa library, kung paano nagabot sa kong puso, hali sa sakumyang dagan. Kaya aniyon ako sa LA airport mo niyan, pauli sa dahi ko parang sa dahi ko nahihiling sa mga bareta. Ang samuyang harong uma, si Pai, si Mai. I can't see them or the impending landfall in my chest, but I see you, you, gasping at this tragedy on TV, in your laptops and iPhones as we wait to take off. Please, I beg you, look closer. It is my father, my mother, and all of 20 fingers holding back this storm. I had, I have, I'll explain. I had to read this until the end because I really wanted, and even as a, in the crafting of the story, 
the technical strategizing. It's all in Bicol and suddenly switches to English. I wanted to, I, I really wanted that inside-outside uh, headspace for the listener when the story is told. What's interesting is the first switch that happens is when she says, Superstorm. And that's still mixed in with the Bicolano and then it's followed with her addressing um, her American audience. Why, why the words superstorm? Is there no Bicolano term for it? Uh, Baguio, we, you know, the Bicolano term is Baguio. But superstorm, after Hayan, I think in fact Reming, when they started, that superstorm wasn't even around, right? Or maybe it was, but that was the time when I got, uh, uh, I became aware of this concept of superstorm, and of course, because there was a, a tidal surge. That's why the problem is because we're coastal, in 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 Bicol, in Legaspi, in Albay. So it was water there and water from the ocean. So, and superstorm, it's the recognizable word outside. But it's also, it's not part of the, the everyday, uh, well, conversation and language of Bicolanos and areas where you have mostly these superstorms. So after that, and storm surge also has become part of the ordinary vocabulary of, of people in vulnerable areas. In your work, earlier you mentioned rivers and girls and children. So in your work, you focus a lot on water. Yes. And the environment and women and girls. Why are these things important to you? I, um, I, it actually started, the water thing, the river thing started from, and I, I, I from me writing about Fisher Woman. That novel is about the total war in 1987, and which was waged in the countryside. And one of the areas, of course, was Bicol because it was hot, hot, a hotbed of insurgency. It was the purge of the NPA. And my mythologized uh, Iraya, which is the village, the site of the conflict, and of course, there's a river and the, all the dead bodies were thrown into the river. So the river gets solid, polluted by these bodies. And there is this fisher woman with her 12 meter hair who, who retrieves their bodies, but also their stories, the lived stories. So with that consciousness, having spent 17 years writing and researching that book before it was published, yes, it took a long time. I could have raised a child, 17 year old, by the time the book was published. So my, I think that, that started my river consciousness, that, that kind of nature is always there. Nature gets solid by conflict and, and by what we do as human beings. And that, as a scholar as well, that started me into thinking about rivers and empathy for each other. And, and empathy for the environment. It, it, it was a very, again, a very fluid movement from talking about the kapwa, your kapwa as, uh, 
the other person, not just within your family, your kapwa, not just within the Philippines. And then eventually I thought, the rivers are your kapwa. Nature is your kapwa. And that's really what I want, what I have been doing as a, as a scholar now and as a community uh, facilitator, a com facilitator of community workshops, because that's what, I, that's what I've been doing so far, facilitating workshops with communities and even writers on rivers, on water. And I have now a template, I have a module on how to do that. So that module, that, that style of facilitating, and I even did it for elders in Bicol. We have this, I, I facilitated a workshop to save, the, this called Susug Salog, to save the dying river, the Naga River. And I facilitated it for elders, the elders who could still tell stories about their memories of the river before it got polluted. I like what you called it earlier. You said river consciousness. It's beautiful. It's a river consciousness. It's a water consciousness. It's a nature consciousness. And if and what I love is the children are very are very much at the helm. And you know all these demonstrations in Australia, in Europe, and and kids saying, "It's our planet. Excuse me. It is what we have inherited from you." And please, so they're talking to the politicians, the policymakers, because, you know, Padma, I really believe the most important story is policy. It is the narrative that affects all our lives, that could kill us, that could make us live. What do you suggest for young people to do as they face the reality of climate change? Be kind. Be kind. And be kind when you think of kindness, inevitably, if you're a Filipino, you'll have to think of the kapwa. Yeah. Because, and then your kindness extends to, the, be kind to the earth. And if you're thinking of kindness, you know how we are so, we only think sometimes of, oh, I'm kind to my mother, my father, my, my, you know, my friends. But you have to remember. But if you think, you know, you know, it's really rethinking your framework. But if you're thinking that, okay, kapamilya ko kapwa ko. My friends are kapwa ko. But they won't, be, but because the rivers are their kapwa as well, then if I am kind to my mother, if I'm kind to my friends, extension yan eh. Yung pagkakapwa niya, kapwa niya rin yung ilog, kapwa niya yung air, yung, yung, yung daga, yung, yung lupa. So the kindness extends to these, even to the littlest animals. And, and, I, and, and that's how I, how I wish, and, and I, it's easy for children and I, especially at a very young age, to, 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 to probably still think beyond themselves. Because when we're older, we're very much on the lookout for number one, which is the I. We get very obsessed with the vertical pronoun. <laughs> but children, maybe I like to think if, although it is so easy with all the, the, the YouTube and then the, the technology that they can see and the, the consumerist society. 
we forget the we. We have to return to the we. And maybe just plastaduhin natin muna yung vertical pronoun. Pahigain. <laughs> so, since Agam was published in 2014, we've seen this rise in cli-fi or climate fiction. Why do you think that that happened? I think there is, it's because first, personally, because I've written Cli-Fi and they call Locust Girl a love song Cli-Fi, uh, which is a bigger picture of a waterless planet. So really, it's, it's very much about my water concern is extended in, in that book. But it's also about refugees when resources are controlled. And water is being controlled only by a few people. And eventually, there will come a time that there will only be, that's this, this Cli-Fi book, that there's only one place, spot one green haven in the planet. Everything is desert. That's how, where we are headed. That's what we're doing to the planet. It's a very grim uh, kind of way of looking at the progression of our narrative. But that's how we are, you know, that's how, what we're, we've been doing. So there is a trend. Why is there a trend of cli-fi? Because our bodies feel it. Your body is aware what's happening to climate. We just had an earthquake. We just had, we just had, nature is telling us there's something. The planet is protesting. And we, if you are, yeah, your body knows it and feels it. You feel the heat, you feel the cold, you feel the, you feel the lack of water. So I think, I, I, I always, you know, all my works are about, are always grounded in the body. And of course the planet is a body. So, uh, I think because we feel it. So clarify, it is, we're seeing it in the disasters, in our superstorms. We see it. And you mentioned grim, so there are very grim imaginings of the future in a mm. lot of cli-fi. Mm. What do you think that implies for our abilities to face that future with all the uncertainty and also the despair, but also hope? Yes. In fact, I, I write about very grim issues from war, to domestic violence, child prostitution. These are my, <laughs> I, I write about trauma a lot. And I write about really the dying planet. But all the time, I am always saying there is, you, you there, it, I don't want to despair. There is always hope and in fact, even in Locust Girl, a love song, which they call a cli-fi, it is very much about love. Again, you know, even if it's, it's a very, it's not set in the Philippines, it's in a mythical time in the future. But love still goes back to Kapwa. It's, it's what, it's something that's part of our, our, of our culture. And, and I know sometimes we bandy around the word Kapwa and love. It has become so, we have become so glib in the way we use it. But at the end of the day, it is probably what we need. And I don't, it's not a case of all we need is love, you know, that kind of thing. No, no, no. No, I am talking about meaningful loving. 
where it is about feeling, thinking, doing. And there is a self-awareness as you love. There is a, an, a kind of a self-reflexivity, a self-critique. It's not just, you know how you can say, oh, I'm kind and I'm good. The kind of a self, uh, a kind of, um, I think there is, there should be an ethics, an issue of ethics in the loving, mm. accountability. It's, um, it strikes me how it's easy to say, to talk about kindness, but when we think of it as a practice, it can actually be quite difficult. It is, it is yes, it can be very difficult. However, having said that, there are also, that's why I, I believe in hope, there's hope, I don't despair, because even if it's, when you become conscious, you know, when you become, you think kind, I'll have to be kind, it's difficult. And we talk about, and we see so much unkindness in the world, you know, locally and globally. But it gives me hope when I see people doing acts of kindness unconsciously even. And I want, I, I, I think for me, because I am despairing of the way we tell stories, really. I'm despairing of the 24-7 media cycle where it's all very grim very dis depressing and it's like there's no and all the infighting and we all are in the race for who tells the worst the, 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 the best story of, of tragedy and we we seem to uh, revel in it and we have forgotten there's another side we have forgotten to tell the stories of kindness and so my it's an advocacy again my project now is to put it there. It has the voices, the invisible, please see the invisible. I go back to that. Because it has become invisibilized because we're talking about conflict all the time. We're talking about unkindness all the time. And they do exist. I am not talking about an easy way out. I'm not talking about, po a, poly about a Pollyannanesque, Pollyannanesque, Pollyannanesque attitude of, or, 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 or approach to storytelling. I am talking about balance. If you're going to write about conflict, tell that story. Please tell, see the invisible. There are stories of kindness. They do exist. You've seen this. I've seen this. I've lived this, but I never talk about it because I'm, I, I was also one of those who was very much into writing about conflict. Because of, of course, conflict, you see that. And of course, as a, a novelist, conflict is drama. You don't have a story without conflict. But then, and, and the danger for, a, for any storyteller is that you focus on that and you forget the other side. And it's a beautiful other side. My last question for you is, I wish I could, I'm tempted to hazard a guess, but I will hold back. I would like to hear you first. What is your superpower? I, when I saw that among the questions, I thought, when you sent me that question, I, I actually, my response, I have no superpower. <laughs> I have no superpower. I never, I never think in terms of superpower. I if think you I, had one, what would it be? If I had one, I think if I wished for one, 
if there is a, if you know, you think of the superpower, the superheroes, if I could have a superpower, I would like very much the power to shift people's consciousness and change the narrative, change how it tells stories. And if I believe, if we shift how we story, because storying begins not when you put a story, not when you speak, not when you write, but the moment you see, you are already telling a story. So you can have even stories of unkindness just by looking and making judgments of other people. Yeah? But you can also have very good positive stories by just the kindness of sight, I call it. So if I have this, if I could have that, if I could, I would have, I want a superpower so that I could gift it back, give it back. I could touch each one. And if I have that superpower, each time I touch a body, they would return to that. With, with, they would remember with what they already have within them. Because I still believe that each one has that. The capacity to tell a kinder story and to live a kinder story. So the superpower, if I were, you know, one of those superheroes flying around, I'd fly around and touch everyone, tap everyone, so they can revise, revision our storytelling powers and, and, our, when I, and, and story living powers. And also, not when you, storytelling is not just telling, but also listening, that we can listen to each other and have conversations. Then the, the, you know, in, in Bicol, we always say, the first thing when we see each other, first, you know, the, I think it's a typical thing with Filipinos. Ano nagkaungkana? Have you eaten? Uh, and then, iristuryahan kita. Let's tell stories. But storytelling is a give and take. It's telling and listening. So imagine if one has a superpower to shift the storytelling and listening so that people can live and tell and listen to stories that view, relate to each other, including our planet, our rivers, our waters, as Kapwa. Then I think we'll be a better planet and we, we will feel better about ourselves too. I think you already have a superpower. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and what it is, is you make the invisible visible. Oh, well, thank you. But I think every writer does that. True. I'm just one of them. I'm just one of them. And, and when I talk about writer, by the way, I should probably use the word. Let me rephrase it. Every storyteller has that. Because you see, I think I became a writer because I come from a family of storytellers. My grandfather, my grandmother, my father, they tell stories. So the oral storytelling. And in fact, that's what I love most. That's why I'm into performance. Because the orality of the story, the body, it's the body that tells the story. Text, text is good. I love text. But text without the body, no thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with me and allowing me to share these little, you know, wishes perhaps. 
They're beautiful stories, so we're very grateful that you've shared your stories with us. Thanks for listening to Agam the Climate Podcast, a podcast about climate change without jargon. Continue the conversation with us next episode. We are a part of the Agam Agenda out of the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities based in the Philippines. You can hear past episodes and engage online with us on Facebook, Twitter, and agam.ph. That's A-G-A-M dot P-H. Special thanks to Ground Bravo Studios, Far Eastern University, and you, our listeners, for your support.